All roads lead to power. And on this show, we're going to break that idea down a little bit. What is power? Who has it? How do you get it? We'll deconstruct everything from motivation and mental health to anti-racism and addiction. Ultimately, the goal is to give you the tools and strategies that you need to live your most powerful life, being a force for good in the world and impacting the people around you in a positive way. Powerful is brought to you by me, your host, Jeff Kular. I help people change and build incredible teams. Welcome to the show. A realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Because the so-called real world of men and money and power comes merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship of self. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline. If people don't learn power, people don't wake up. If they don't wake up, they get left out. Welcome back to another episode of Powerful. I'm your host, Jeff Coulard, and we're going to continue a theme that we started last week talking about power as it relates to things like the Black Lives Matter movement that is currently sweeping across certainly North America, but also the globe. There's been rallies and protests in a wide range of cities, both in my country, Canada, and certainly the United States, but London and Berlin and, and all over the place. And so it's certainly a movement, um, been around for a while, but it really kicked up another notch this past couple of weeks after the murder of George Floyd at the hands of some police officers in Minneapolis. And today I wanted to take another step back. Last week we took a step back and talked about the problem with privilege and why calling it privilege, whether it's white privilege or male privilege, even though it's entirely accurate and true that those statuses certainly come with their fair share of privilege in society, calling them privilege doesn't actually help because it kicks up people's defense mechanisms. And when we're defensive, we're probably not listening. And if we're not listening, we're probably not able to make meaningful change and collaborate effectively uh, across society. And so, you know, I'm an advocate for the right use of power. I'm on the board of directors and I've been you know, doing right use of power trainings and workshops in the helping professions and in corporate environments for quite a few years now. And I really do think that it's the lens that helps us make more sense of what's happening in the world, what happens interpersonally in relationships, and what happens when groups of people experience conflict and tension. And so I want to dig into that a little bit more today. And so today I actually want to talk about the All Lives Matter movement. And if you're not familiar with the All Lives Matter slogan or hashtag or counter-protest, I suppose, is what it is. It got its start around 2015 or 2016, a couple of years after the Black Lives Matter movement had started in 2013, after the acquittal of George Zimmerman in the death, in the shooting death of uh, Trayvon Martin. And on, on the surface, you, you look at something like All Lives Matter, and you're like, of course All Lives Matter. I agree with that statement. And the problem with All Lives Matter is that it's not true. If it was true, we wouldn't need a Black Lives Matter. There wouldn't be a Black Lives Matter protest movement if all lives actually mattered or mattered equally. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about this, why Black Lives Matter is so important. And in this country, in Canada, um, why we should be, probably have an Indigenous Lives Matter movement as well. But first, let's talk about the problem with All Lives Matter. 
And let's do that by doing a bit of a thought experiment and just backing up a little bit from the sometimes charged and sometimes polarizing world of talking about status, power, and privilege and all of these things that get in the way, that are part of our identities, that get in the way of some of these conversations. And let's just back it up a little bit to January 12th, 2010, when a 7.0 magnitude earthquake hit the island nation of Haiti and killed about 200,000 people with another 300,000 people injured. In the days following that terrible natural disaster and tragedy, you know, the world essentially rushed to Haiti and embraced it with aid in, in all shapes and sizes from money to humanitarian aid on the ground. And we didn't have an all countries matter conversation. There was no, yeah, you know, things are pretty rough down in Haiti at the moment. And, you know, I can see the point that we should be providing some aid, but, ah, you know, all countries matter. So we probably just shouldn't do anything. And five years before the earthquake in Haiti, when Hurricane Katrina struck New Orleans and flooded that city and caused an incredible amount of damage as well as lives lost, there wasn't an all cities matter movement. We weren't sitting around thinking, hmm, we should really go and help down in New Orleans, but you know what? All cities matter, so let's just sit around and do nothing. And likewise, in your town or your city, when a house is on fire and the fire department rushes to save the occupants of that house and limit the property damage, we don't have an all houses matter movement, right? We don't get pissed off because our house isn't being taken care of at that exact moment because we understand that what it means to live in civil society is that we take care of each other and that we particularly take care of the people who are hurting the most. And so listener, I'm going to ask you to dig beneath the surface a little bit when you hear something like all lives matter and on the surface you want to agree with it and think that, yeah, all lives do matter. Ask yourself, is that actually true? Do they really matter? And if they mattered, would we see the kind of disparity that we see in society? Would we see the kind of poverty and crime and incarceration rates and drug addiction and all of the afflictions that plague our minority communities, both in the United States, but certainly here in Canada. Uh, we have nothing to um, gloat about when it comes to our track record with how we treat minorities in this country, especially our Indigenous and ab Aboriginal population, which I'm going to dig into a little bit and talk about because this All Lives Matter movement, although, again, on the surface, might seem like it makes a lot of sense and seem like it's a compassionate approach to equality, right? It actually gets in the way. It stifles the conversation. And it suggests somehow that because there's a Black Lives Matter movement, that your life, if you're a, a white person, is inherently less valuable. And that's just obviously not true. And the fact that we don't have to protest to get our needs met, I've never been to a protest. I'm actually a little bit ashamed about that. Like, I've never had to protest for anything because I have a ton of power right? I can get my needs met. I don't have to go out into the street. I don't have to have violent confrontations with law enforcement that kill people like me at an abnormally high rate, right? That in and of itself means that not all lives matter equally in our society. I don't feel the need to protest. I don't have to protest. Um, but that's not the lived experience of many people in our society, certainly black people, in the United States and the indigenous people here in Canada, along with some other minority groups that we'll, we'll talk a little bit about. And so let's take some time to dig into that right now. And I want to introduce you to some kind of heartbreaking statistics about 
Canada. And this is, you know, these are a few years old. This is from January 2015 by journalist Scott Gilmore in with, with McLean's. Um, but basically, kind of chronicling or stacking up some of the statistics about our indigenous population here in Canada with the African-American population in the U.S., some kind of common statistics that you would think about when you were thinking about systemic racism and just the welfare of those communities in the country that, they, that they're in. And so let's start with unemployment. Um, it's actually 2.1 times higher here in Canada for our Aboriginal Canadians uh, than the national average. The unemployment rate is around 14%. Uh, for African Americans, it's 11% or 1.9 times the national average at the time of publication. Um, the incarceration rate per 100,000 people is 1,400 for Aboriginal can Canadians, uh, which is actually 10 times the national average rate. So Indigenous people are 10 times as likely to be incarcerated than non-Indigenous. The homicide rate is 6.1 times the national average compared to 3.7 times the national average in America, which admittedly has a very high homicide rate to begin with, 17.3 per 100,000 versus 8.8 .8, um, for the Indigenous population in Canada. But still, you can see that that statistic is, uh, is startling. The infant mortality rate of Indigenous Canadians of babies being born to Indigenous mothers uh, is 2.3 times the national average. Life expectancy here in Canada for, for Indigenous people is about 10% lower than that of a Canadian, like six or seven years we're talking uh, lower. And the dropout rate versus the national average, and so these are you know 20 to 24-year-olds without a high school diploma and currently not in school, uh, is almost three times the rate of non-Indigenous Canadians. Now let's just hold those statistics for a second, and then let's hold this idea that all lives matter. And obje pretty objectively, it's just not true, because if it was true, we wouldn't have those types of statistics. If all lives matter, we wouldn't have a Black Lives Matter movement, and we wouldn't have the kind of protests that we're seeing erupt around the globe about the kind of gross inequity and gross inequality that this society has developed uh, over the last few hundred years, certainly in Western, in the Western world. You know, I would love to live in a world where all lives mattered. And that was a true statement. And we could really believe that based on fair and equitable treatment across races and genders and any other, you know, status power type things that you might want to think about, whether it's gender or sexual preferences or any of the, the myriad ways in which people are discriminated against or oppressed in our society. But the truth is that, is that again, they just don't, right? And the, the statistics certainly back that up. And also the stories, when you, when you dig into the stories of people with lived experience of oppression and racism, both in this country and the United States, you know, it's heartbreaking. And then you read stories um, like the ones that came out of New Brunswick recently, where, you know, the Indigenous woman, Chantelle Moore, 26 years old, uh, was shot dead by the police during a mental health wellness check, which is about as backwards of an outcome as you can imagine, going to check on somebody who, you know, might need some, some help or some intervention and to end up killing them. Um, it's stories like that. It's stories certainly like George Floyd and the video of him for almost nine minutes um, having his life sucked out of him while being kneeled on by a, by a white police officer. You know, it's, 
scenes like that, it's stories like that, that really get you thinking about the privilege and the power that comes with being white and being a part of the majority uh, or the group that's in power. Um, and it's really been interesting for me to watch the reactions of the people in power or powerful people in society. And I think of a recent column by Rex Murphy, who I'm not really a big, big fan of very occasionally, he'll say something that I agree with. Um, but he basically wrote very recently, um, an article that basically said Canada doesn't have a racism problem. Um, and I guess I'm just curious as to what news he's actually reading or what statistics he's um, looking at. Because by all accounts, we certainly have a problem with systemic racism here in this country. And I think it's probably impossible for any colonial state, any settler colonial state like Canada or the United States or Australia um, to not have systemic racism problems. When you think about how these countries were built and founded by actually taking land away from indigenous people, and in the case of the United States, importing slave labor, you know, that country's built on colonialism and oppression. And it's not actually that different here in Canada. Maybe we just do a better job of hiding it with our system of reserves. I think almost half of the indigenous population here in Canada lives on fairly remote reserves. I'll have to double check that statistic. And maybe we just do a better job of sticking our head in the sand and ignoring it. I know certainly that's been easy, relatively easy for someone like me to do. Like I said, I've never had to protest um, for my rights or to get my needs met, which when you think about power, right, it's just invisible. Right? This status power that we carry around with us, we're only aware of it when we don't have it. Right, And we're probably only aware of it when the mirror gets put up really close and we get to see ourselves in it and we get to see the inequity that's happening. Right. So this is another short podcast about power and about this dynamic that we're seeing in the world, um, certainly with the Black Lives Matter movement, but also when we think about other oppressed and marginalized people in society that are getting the short end of the stick um, when it comes to not having power, you know, being a, a member of a more powerless um, class of people, which is when you actually put it that way, is pretty disheartening and kind of shocking that in 2020, um, that we would allow this to, to continue. And so I know that my uh, focus moving forward is going to be to talk more about this, you know, not to hide behind the fact that it's not happening to me, and that my life actually has more worth than a lot of other lives in society, and that's not acceptable to me. And so you can expect to hear more guests on this podcast um, from marginalized or oppressed communities, people with less power in society, because part of my commitment to anti-racist work is to actually amplify the voices of people, uh, use my platform, use this podcast and, and other work that I do to help spread um, different stories, different narratives into the world so that we can all move the needle on this problem when it comes to racism and oppression in our society. So that is it for today's short podcast. Thank you again so much for your listening time. And if you want to help me out, if you jump to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the like button, uh, give it give it a review, drop it a rating, and share it with friends and family and colleagues if any of this resonated. And if it didn't, I'd love to hear about it too. So um, hit me up on one of the socials and you can listen to more episodes at www.jeffcoulard, J-E-F-F-C-O-U-I-L-L-A-R-D 
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com. And again, thank you so much for being here.